Well, if you have a Bible there with you, if you want to turn to Psalm 71, we're getting back into our series of sorts on the first Sundays of the month. We have been going through the Psalms for quite some time. We've taken a break here and there and gone into other things, but I thought it would be good to get back into the Psalms. And so we're going to look at Psalm 71, and I'll invite you, if you're able to do so, to stand for the reading of God's Word. Give ear to God's holy word. Psalm 71, it says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, uh, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Uh, Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Uh, Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him, pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me, O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, For their number is past my knowledge. Uh, With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens, You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness uh, and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my God also which you have redeemed, my soul also which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, this uh, this psalm of David, as you could probably tell as I was reading it and you were following along, this psalm of David was written... Uh, later on in his life, he calls it in the time of old age, when his strength was spent and when gray hairs adorned his head, uh, hoary hairs as we just sang in the hymn a little while ago. Uh, Charles Spurgeon sums up this great psalm briefly in the following way. He says, We have here the prayer of the aged believer who in holy confidence of faith, strengthened by a long and remarkable experience, pleads against his enemies and asks further blessings for himself. Anticipating a gracious reply, he promises to magnify the Lord exceedingly. Now, you might think 
uh, if you're maybe not that familiar with or have forgotten some of your Old Testament history of David's life, you might think that, you know, King David, for all the things he did in serving God, all the exploits in his life, uh, you might think that when he got to his older age later in life, that he might have been able to simply ride off, so to speak, into the sunset peacefully uh, in, in the sunset of his life and reign. But that's not the case, is it? If you know his, his the accounts of his life in in the scriptures, you know that was not the case. Uh, even in his old age, he still had to deal with, according to his own words here in the psalm, he had to deal with the attacks of the wicked, the unjust and cruel man in verse 4. He mentions his enemies in verse 10, his accusers in verse 13, who were always seeking to do him harm. It's as if he could never get a break. Even even when he's you know older in age, you'd think he'd get a break. His enemies would back off. Maybe wouldn't perceive him as such a threat. But uh, James Montgomery Boyce notes about this psalm. He says the enemies of the king were present at much as much at the end of his life as at the beginning. Yeah, you know, there's a sense in which David just never catches a break, uh, a break from from the spiritual warfare, so to speak, and the enemies uh, of God's people against him. Um, if anything, David's waning strength in his older age, it seemed to kind of embolden his enemies, didn't it? That's the way David puts it in the psalm. Uh, they attacked him even more ferociously. They were, he, he calls them, describes them as watching for his life. You know, they're always looking for an opening, always looking for an opportunity uh, to attack and strike him. And they saw his weakness as a sign, verse 11, that God had somehow, according to them, that God had forsaken him. It's like they're waiting and they perceived God protecting him. And when they saw him growing weak, they thought, oh, finally, we have our chance. God has now forsaken him and there was no longer, uh, God was no longer there. So they thought to deliver David from their hands. And so in the midst of this great affliction and trial, we don't know what it was. Uh, Some commentators have suggested this was during the, the rebellion of Absalom. We don't know that to be the case. We just know it was later in David's life. Uh, But in the midst of this great affliction and trial, whatever it may have been, David, what did he do? You know, if you know the Psalms, he does what he always did. And what we should do likewise in imitating his faith, he cried out to God for deliverance again. Just as his enemies were always there, he knew that the throne of grace was always there, and he cried out to God for deliverance and salvation. And that's, that's kind of the essence of this psalm, isn't it? It's David's cry for deliverance and his promise of praise to God for his deliverance from his enemies. Uh, you might know if you, if you've read through the Psalms, uh, a number of times, you might know that this is a very common theme in the Psalms and in the Psalms of David. Now, if you think about that, you know, most of the songs that, that we sing in churches in our day, uh, even evangelical Bible-believing churches, uh, they tend to be, um, not all of them, but many of them tend towards being kind of uh, the happy, clappy, you know, everything's great, everything's awesome, you know, the Lego movie song, uh, you know, everything's great. Uh, but when you read the Psalms, which was God's, ins- it's God's inspired songbook for Israel and for the church today still, uh, a lot of these Psalms are like this. Our call to worship, Psalm 27, the same themes you saw in Psalm 27 and elsewhere was a cry out to God for deliverance from enemies, from the enemies of Christ and his cross. And the fact that that's a common theme throughout the Psalter, throughout the Psalms, uh, that in and of itself ought to be instructive for us as believers today. You know, we, we are called to follow Christ as Christians just as much as David was 
In his day, we might not be called to be quite as important in the scope of redemptive history as David was, as the as the precursor of the type of Christ, in a sense. Uh, but we are called to to follow Christ, and so uh, and imitate the faith of David. And so, if the man after God's own heart, if King David himself suffered affliction and things, and was not immune. Uh, from affliction and distress and trials in his old age, uh, who are we to assume that when we get there that we should be spared such things, that we won't face maybe not the same kinds of trials that David did, uh, but we are not exempt from trials in our older age uh, in the faith. And so this psalm, I think, has a lot to teach us uh, about about that kind of a thing. David here reminds himself, and really in the in the words of the psalm, He's sort of reminding God, so to speak, if you can use that as a manner of speaking. He's reminding God that he had trusted in God from his youth, verse 5, and that God had been his refuge, he says, even from before he was born. In verse 6, God had sustained him and protected him even at birth, and he was the one that had brought him forth uh, from, from the womb, uh, even in, in, in the womb. And so he had good reason to trust the Lord, that God would now, even even in his old age, prove to be faithful as his deliverer, his savior, his refuge in his old age. Uh, and think about this. Uh, I think there's a reason he brings that up in, in this context. You know, when you're in the womb, you're about as helpless as you could be. When you're an infant, when you're a baby, you're about as helpless as can be. There's not much, many more things in this life that you can think of that are more helpless than a baby. And so David isn't, I think, in some ways comparing him in his old age to a child. He's saying, my strength isn't what it was, just like it didn't used to be back then, and God was my refuge then, and he will be my refuge and my strength now as well. He was powerless then, and he was powerless at this time, but God would prove to be his refuge and his shield. And so what does David do in, in, in response to that, to God's mercies? He promises to hope in God and to praise God even more, verse 14. And, you know, that's, that's really to be the fuel for our praise is God's mercies. The more that you and I have a firm grasp from our youth even to now on God's mercies, the more we will be motivated uh, and moved to praise God for those mercies and to bear witness of him and to tell of his righteous acts of deeds and salvation all the day. That's what David says. He's going to praise God. He's going to tell other people and proclaim God's acts of power and salvation, his righteous deeds. Uh, and so if we receive God's mercies, we must bear witness to God's mercies, both in our praise as well as our testimony. And, you know, in a sense, I think as you, you'll see in this psalm, if you haven't already, there's a very fine line between praise and witness. They're almost the same thing if they're, if they're done, if they're done right. Doxology is testimony and testimony is doxology. When we're bearing witness of the gospel, we're praising God for his mercies towards us in Christ at its most, uh, at, its, at, its, at its essence. And so last but not least in our psalm, David prayed that God might deliver him in time of old age and gray hairs until he did one thing, until he declared God's saving might and power to another generation, verse 18. Even in his old age, David had his eye on the next generation and his testimony to them of God's grace. What a wonderful testimony our beloved senior saints have to pass on to the next generation in testifying to them of the goodness, the faithfulness, and saving mercies of God. That's what we're going to look at this morning, Lord willing, from this text. So the first thing, you know, there's a lot of different ways to divide up or to outline a text of Scripture, even a psalm. 
Uh, I read a, a number of different ways they tried to outline it. And I, I normally, personally, uh, as you might have figured out, I try to structure my sermons on the structure of the text. Uh, in this particular Sunday, I'm going to uh, not do that quite so uh, woodenly, and we're just going to look at a few themes from the text that I think are, are built uh, through the structure, but we're not going to spend too much time trying to uh, structure the sermon in so many ways. Of the, There's kind of a back and forth in this psalm that happens two or three times, and so we're going to look at a few things, a few simple things from the psalm instead, the overall themes, uh, to draw some lessons for us today from this great psalm of David. And so uh, there's a lot for us to learn from this psalm, both young and old alike, as I hope that we'll see today. And the first thing that I'd like us to, to consider from this psalm is what David says about the Lord being his hope and his trust from his youth. He says that God was his hope and God was his trust since his youth. Look at verses 4 through 6. He says it more than once, but in verses 4 through 6 he says, Rescue me, O my God. There's the request. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. And here it is. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. God was even providentially involved in David's birth and in preserving him uh, alive uh, in it. And, but think about the wonderful testimony this is to the, to the grace of God in David's life. By God's electing love and mercy towards him, David had put his hope and trust in the Lord from his youngest days, from his youth, as he puts it. And now, in his older age, what is he doing? He, he could look back on that experience of the grace of God in, in his past, in his life, in his early days, and, and find encouragement for himself in, in faith in his present and even future distress. He looks back on God's faithfulness throughout his life, even from his youngest days, and he draws courage and encouragement from that for his present afflictions and even future afflictions and, and trials. And so, you know, it kind of reminds me of, of a chorus of there's an old classic hymn. We didn't sing it this morning. Uh, it's not in this hymnal, which I found uh, a little disappointing when I looked 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 it up, but it's a uh, "Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus," and you might know the chorus of that: uh, "Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him! How I've done what? I've proved Him over, over and over, over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, over oh, grace to trust Him more. He, we we trust Him and we've proved Him over and over again. What does that mean? We we found Him faithful." God has sustained us. He's not only saved us from our sins, but he sustains us through every trial. Uh, we sang uh, how, great, how Firm a Foundation this morning. Uh, it talks about hoary hairs and things, like, like Rob said. And it also talks about sanctifying to you your deepest distress. Same, same, kind, of, same kind of truth here uh, in, those, in those great hymns. Well, David had proved him over and over by a... Uh, by faith throughout his life, even from his youngest days. You know, what a blessing to have tested and proved God's mercies uh, by his firsthand experience to, and have that to look back on later in life to strengthen his faith in time of trial. What an important thing for us who know the Lord to be able to look back on, to look back because you have current trials. We're not exempt from them later in life. In fact, sometimes they seem to, to increase, don't they? And yet we can look back on God's faithfulness and see God's trustworthiness to us and, 
and uh, and lean upon him more. So I'll ask this morning, has that been your experience? It's not everybody's experience. Everybody hasn't been saved from their youth. Everybody hasn't known God since they were uh, since their youngest days. But have you, by the grace of God, known the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, even from your youth? Perhaps you were raised in the faith by godly Christian parents. Perhaps they brought you to a Bible-believing church every Lord's Day and raised you up, as the Bible talks about, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6, verse 4. Uh, if you have, if you if you know that experience, what a blessing you have, because a lot of people don't have that. Even that was part of God's providence and sovereign grace in your life. If that If that describes you this morning, thank God, for his kindness and mercy towards you in Jesus Christ. He has given you a great blessing that we can't begin to to thank him enough for and to, to, to thank him and understand what a privilege we have. What a help in time of trial and distress later in life it is to be able to look back upon God's goodness and grace in your early days. And, you know, if if even now, if you're in your younger years, uh, you know, don't don't waste your youth. Whether you be a child, whether you be a young twenty-something, or don't don't waste your youth. If you've not trusted in Christ Jesus for salvation, don't don't put that off. Don't wait any longer uh, anymore. Turn from your sin and unbelief, and turn to Christ by faith for salvation from your sin. And if you are a believer, if you're a young person and you are a believer in Christ now by God's grace, uh, your hope and your trust in all of your trials. And difficulties in this life should be the Lord, even as David says in this psalm. You know, later in life, when you're old and gray, which, you know, when you're young, you can't imagine that. I'm still in shock that I'm in my early 50s at this point. You know, but when you're young, you never feel like you're going to be old. In fact, when you're young, 30 sounds old. Then when you're 30, 40 sounds old, and so on. It's always somebody else past you. Uh, but, you know, later in, in life, when you're old and gray, you'll be able to say with David, Rescue me, O my God, why? For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. You've you've rescued me before all this time. You've been faithful to me all this time. And so we know God will continue to do that. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1 says this, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. I think I might have mentioned this last Sunday in some regard. You know, serving God is not something that you do later. Serving God isn't just something you start to do when you're a grown-up or when you're older. Serving God is something you do from your youngest days as well. God has things for you to do in serving him even from your youngest days and from your youth. In fact, you don't, if you don't care to do it now, there's no reason to think that you'll care to do it later. If you put off serving Christ now, you know, we often say things, well, I'll do that later. Well, if you don't care to do it now, you probably won't ever care to do it later as well. Notice also in verse 6, David, you know, it's a figure of speech. David reminds God, uh, he says, Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. You know, David may have been helpless and powerless in some regard in his older age, but for that very reason I think he strengthens himself in faith by bringing to mind the fact that God had been his refuge and strength even from before he was born. Even the fact that he survived childbirth was due to God's mercy and preserving grace. God is the one who brought him forth from his mother's womb and gave him life. And if God could be trusted in David's younger days and in your younger days, youngest days really, even before his birth, and surely he can be trusted now 
in your present distress. That's what David, I think, is encouraging himself with in prayer here. And and think about this. See what this passage teaches us about babies in the womb. You know, abortion is a constant topic in the news. Unfortunately, you know, Dr. Seuss has made the news lately. Uh, you might know the book Horton Hears a Who. Uh, there's a line from that. He says, what a person is a person, no matter how small. Well, that is also true of babies in the womb. David, was David a person made in God's image before he was born? He says elsewhere in the Psalms, God had knit him together in his mother's womb. Well, here, what does he say? He says, God brought him forth. He was his refuge. God was his refuge before he was born. And God had brought him forth from the womb. So was David, according to scripture, a person made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, even in the womb? Yes. And every every baby is the same in that regard. Everyone inside or outside of the womb is made in God's image. And so babies, even in the womb, are made in God's image and likeness. And as such, to kill them through abortion is to commit murder. It's a heinous sin in the eyes of God. It's no small sin. And you have to think that God will visit for such iniquity. We need to pray for our country, to re- for God to revive our country before it is too late, before God's judgment comes. That brings us, I think, to the second and probably the, pr- the primary theme of the psalm is that we should imitate the faith of David in having God as our hope and our trust in our old age, in our older days as well as in our youth. David mentions twice uh, trusting God from his youth, verse 5 and verse 17, and also no less than twice he also mentions his old age, verses 9 and 18. He brings it up twice, and his prayer in both of those verses is that in some way, God would not cast him off or forsake him in his old age. Now, see, think about this. See how honest David is in his prayer to God. You know, the Psalms say a lot, the Bible in general says a lot of things that, that we are often uncomfortable saying. Like, you may have, if it weren't for the Psalms, you may never think to pray, God, don't forsake me. Now, you know, David prays that kind of thing in the Psalms, not just here, but Psalm 51 and elsewhere. Now, does he really think God is going to forsake him? Does God, does David not know that God's mercies are everlasting? No, he knew that. But do you always feel like that? When you're going through a trial or, or, or an affliction of some kind? No. And so David's honest in his prayer. He tells God how he feels and he prays like it. And he trusts God. He, you know, think about this. His enemies were saying, verse 11, God has forsaken him. David heard that. At some point, it, it, it starts to sink in. You start believing what you hear. And so he prays that God would not, uh, would not forsake him. He was tempted to believe what his enemies were saying. And so he seeks God in prayer and asks him not to forsake him, even in his old age. Uh, you know, often people, uh, other people often desert us when the chips are down. Especially in our day, if you think about our, our country and our culture in these days, the elderly, even in the church, are often the most neglected and despised. That, that should not be the case, especially in the church. It didn't used to be that way in our culture in general. Now, we live in an age when youth is idolized, even in the church, and that should not be. Uh, churches cater to the young. Church planters often seek to build a church around the energy of youth, Many seek to revitalize the church by catering to the younger people in the church, often to the detriment of the more senior saints there among them. And why is that? Probably a lot of reasons for that. 
they're they're aping the culture around them and trying to to look appealing to them. But you know, I think part of it is kind of what our text hints at here. Many suppose that the aged in the church, well, they don't have as much to offer, is what they think. It's the young people with all the energy and everything that they think has to be the most important. I think they could they couldn't be more wrong. And I think this attitude has impoverished the church in a lot of ways. You know, ironically, that kind of mindset, you know, it's easy to say to yourself, it's easy to see how that harms our more senior saints, but I think the people most harmed by that attitude are the younger people in the church. I think those are the ones who are harmed and impoverished by it, ironically, more than anything else. Because without the senior saints who have walked with the Lord, especially from their youth, and proved him over and over for decades, Who's going to be there to encourage the younger people in the church in the faith by way of example and experience? Who do the younger people in the, in the, in the faith look to for advice, for encouragement, for example, and, and the example of their experience? If they don't have those senior saints who have walked with the Lord in the light of his word all of those days. Brothers and sisters, if you are in a season of what you perceive as old age and gray hairs are adorning your temple, uh, as David talks about here when he wrote this psalm, um, my, my, my advice to you, and I guess to myself more and more these days, is, you know, take heart because you're in good company. You know, I think in many ways David, God, God saw to it by his inspiration of the Holy Spirit to put this psalm in the scriptures for that, maybe more things too, but at least for that, that we might see this example of David and his faith in his older years and how he encouraged himself, and I think God put this here to encourage us as well. Now you might not find yourself, uh, you know, you might find yourself weaker in a lot of ways as you grow older. Many of us do, and you might think, uh, you know, in talking to some of you, I've I've been told, you know, you don't see how God's using you now. You know, you might think, well, God used to use me, but He's not really doing much through me now. It's hard to see how God is using you, perhaps, uh, in this life. But you know, know that that God is not like fair weather friends uh, in this life. He doesn't turn His back on you or forsake His people. Uh, when our strength is gone, he, he doesn't he doesn't approach us that way. He doesn't say, well, you're useful to me, so as long as you're useful to me, I'll be good to you and faithful. That's not the way God, that's how we are. That's not how God, thankfully, is. He doesn't turn his back on his people when our strength is waning. And if he has saved you by his grace alone, and if what Paul says in Romans 5.10, Paul says, if while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. If, if God saved you at the beginning by his grace alone, does that change? Does God suddenly stop you know, uh, relating to you based on his mercy and grace in Christ and suddenly you have to earn your way into God's faithfulness? No, it's not that way at, at all. God, God did not save you because you were young or strong or useful to him. He didn't get a good deal on any of us. None of us were easy to save. All of us were objects, if we're in Christ, of God's mercies and his grace alone in saving us. He did not save us because we were useful to him. Rather, he chooses the weak to shame the strong. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29? He says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being or no flesh might boast in the presence of God. He said his electing love on you, not because you're strong, but because you're weak. And so if that's the case when he chose you in, you know, before the foundation of the world, how much more is that still the case now if you are finding yourself in a state of weakness of some kind? God chose you for salvation when you were weak, so surely he will not leave you or forsake you now when you are more aware of your weakness than you used to be. We're always weak. We're just not always aware of it as we are at certain times of life. Remember uh, the words of Isaiah 42, 3, which talk about the gentleness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ towards his people. It says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. You know, he'll dash the, na- the nations with a, with, a piece of iron, with a piece of iron, Psalm 2 talks about. But to his own people, a bruised reed he won't even break. Something that's this close to just breaking, he won't break. He won't snuff the smoldering wick. Well, that leads us to the final point, I think, from this great psalm of David, which is David's promise of praise and testimony in response to God's mercies to him, even in his old age. Uh, look at how many times David talks in the psalm. Uh, it's all through it. He talks about praising God. He praised God when he was younger. He praises God. Now he's going to praise him in the future. Even during his time of affliction, he kind of looks forward to God, to God's deliverance by faith. He, he, he looks and sees by faith that he's going to triumph over his enemies and he's going to praise God. The Lord, in verse 3, he says, was his rock and his fortress. And so he, his praise was going to be, verse 6, continually, always, he was going to be praising the Lord, even in time of weakness and distress. Look at verses 14 to 16. He says, but I, I will hope continually or always, and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. God's The, the number of God's saving acts, he couldn't, he couldn't even number them. He says, they're, they're past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone, not his own, but God's righteousness. Now where, you know, looking at this through the lens of the New Testament, where is God's righteousness revealed more than anywhere else? Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, the, the gospel is the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Why? For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And so reading this psalm uh, with, with Christian eyes through the New Testament, I think, we should be, we should see this as David telling us of reminding others of the gospel of Christ and God's ultimate salvation and redemption of our lives from our sins through sending his son to die and be raised again on the third day. David praised God for his mercies and salvation from his youth to his old age. He did so whether he was strong or whether he was weak. And I think here we see how fine a line there is in our text and elsewhere between praise and testimony or witness to Christ. Praise, in a sense, is testimony, and testimony should be praise. David's praise for the Lord, his testimony to the gospel, were so, at least in this psalm, they were so intertwined that it was difficult, I think, to know where the one stops and the other begins. 
think that, that, that would change your, your ideas on evangelism if we thought of it that way. That praise and testimony, that they're, they're like a, a rope of two strands. You can't really divide the two. They're so closely related. Notice there's one more important ministry of testimony and witness that David uh, commends to us here in this psalm and says that he was going to uh, put his effort into. Look at verses 17 through 18. David says, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. Here it is. Until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those uh, to come. The vital ministry see here that, that the older saints in the church have toward the next generation of believers is what David is talking about here. It is, it is you who proclaim the saving might and faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ to the next Generation, it's you who proclaims the power of God and salvation in Christ to all those who are to come. And that is a ministry of, of testimony that we should never neglect and never uh, look down upon. In fact, it seems to be, in some ways, David's prayer that God would sustain him and deliver him precisely so that he could do this very thing. It's as if David is saying, you know, Deliver me this one more time so that I still spend my time telling the next generation of your goodness and your power in salvation. And so uh, is that your prayer this morning? Whether you consider yourself old and whether you have gray hair or, or not, is that your prayer that God would not only deliver you but enable you to bear witness to those who are to come to the next generation, both in your own family, your own children, and grandchildren, as well as your family in the faith here in church. And if you're young, or even just young in the faith, do you look up to and honor the elders, in the, uh, not just the elders as far as the office bearers, but, but your elders in the Lord for their testimony of Christ, that you might learn from them and imitate their faith as well. May the Lord Jesus Christ work in us what's well-pleasing in his sight, that we might make him our hope and our trust from our youth to our old age, that we too might praise him for his mercies and bear witness to the glory of his great name to the next generation. Amen.